and welcome to our first ever episode of the Cayburn Hope Employee Comms Podcast. 20 minutes of insight, inspiration and indispensable information from the world of workplace communication. I'm Chris Andrew and I'm the Strategy Director at the award-winning employee communications agency Cayburn Hope and I'm absolutely delighted that you're here. I hope you enjoyed the show, share your feedback and subscribe. So today we're talking about an issue that has become even more critically important in the wake of the pandemic. How do businesses best support the well-being and productivity of employees when employees are both working and dealing with other big life challenges. So how do businesses communicate meaningful support to employees whilst also communicating their ongoing business needs? I am really excited to be discussing these issues with a very special guest expert, Evan Davidge. Evan is the founder of The Wellbeing Leader, a consultancy that assesses and embeds holistic, best fit, well-being solutions for businesses. Evan, a very warm welcome to the Cabin Hope Employee Comms podcast. Thank you very much, Chris, and good morning to everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I hope I can impart some tips which I've learned with various clients. Uh, I'm sure you will, Evan. Well, I've, I've, I've worked with you on and off for, uh, for a number of years now, and, um, and it's always inspiring. So thank you very much indeed for joining. Just in terms of that really quickly, obviously, this is a, an area that so many organizations and people are, are talking about a lot in, uh, at the moment when it comes to the employee experience and employee communications and, and driving productivity and work, the importance of well-being at work. Maybe you could give us a really quick uh, sort of overview, I suppose, of your, your career story. You know, how, is, how has your career led to this point and what is it about well-being in the workplace that inspired you and made you want to get so involved? Yes, thank you, Chris. Yeah, as a former senior officer and management trainer in the RAF, I've had a long-standing interest in uh, leadership and well-being, particularly in the armed forces, where you've had to be able to adapt to challenging environments and disruptive conditions, often at little or no notice, uh, very similar to what we've been experiencing with the major disruption through COVID over the past couple of years. And the morale and the well-being of people is absolutely fundamental. For instance, we, we talk about an army marching on its stomach, but actually it's much more complex than that. You're having to maintain what I call the esprit de corps, the camaraderie, looking out for each other. All these sort of values and behaviours which have come to the fore during the pandemic. And right at the heart of this is well-being, the physical, the emotional and the the social needs, if you want to call it that, of the people in your workplace. And what I've tried to do is working with various clients and the learnings that I've had over the past uh, 25 years is try to develop that well-being agenda. And it's very interesting that forward-looking companies have come to recognize well before the pandemic that there's actually really good emotional, financial and competitive advantages to be gained from well-being. So perhaps we could unpack that a bit more later within this podcast. No, that sounds good to me. Thank you very much indeed. There's so much to talk about, isn't there? And we, we don't have time in this uh, in this initial 20 minutes to, to really mm. to agree get to the crux and cover absolutely everything. But I think what would be really helpful, I think, for me and for listeners is to sort of download some of your experience, perhaps of, of some of the challenges and some of the key areas that organizations and people can be starting to to focus on as they as they look to try and foster 
foster a more holistic culture of, of well-being. Um, one particular area that I wanted to ask you about was about the importance of leadership and the role of leadership when it comes to well-being in the workplace. I think a lot of organizations have noticed over the last 18 months particularly, I mean, leadership has always been important, but prior to the pandemic, there was a, a, a slight shift perhaps to individual empowerment and ownership when it came to communicating messages. When the pandemic hit and people were needing to work from home, everyone was looking to a leader, needing someone steering the ship, you know, those individuals who had a strong vision of what was happening and how to get through this and how to manage that. As a result, the use and frequency of town hall events and, you know, senior leaders being very visible on on a day-to-day basis from a communication perspective seems to have really accelerated. And my understanding from speaking to various different organizations is that that is hopefully here to stay and that 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 visibility and openness of, of, of leaders is going to stay. In your experience, what is it that makes a good leader when it comes to well-being and what is it that leaders can be doing and managers is as well to to encourage employees to engage with their well-being i think the pandemic has exposed, if you like, certain qualities that are fundamental or critical to lead in times of uncertainty. I mentioned about the military analogy earlier on, and it's not that different, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the first thing that a leader must have is emotional intelligence. I think that really goes without saying. They've got to have that empathy. They need to understand other people's points of view, what they're thinking, and they need to be less self-centered and more authentic. And by that is being their normal self, show their vulnerabilities as well. But more than anything, they need to set the tone. Employees do actually take their cue from their leaders and managers. It goes without saying. So if they're not practicing the right behaviors, then clearly that's going to manifest itself in inappropriate behaviors throughout the workforce. So what I found working with clients over the pandemic is that the biggest challenge for them is being to protect the livelihood of their people absolutely fundamental, taking whatever steps are necessary. And of course, in a time of uncertainty, communication is absolutely vital. People yearn for news, you know, because they don't know whether their jobs are at stake, you know, their future livelihoods. And it's really important for leaders to engage at every opportunity. And we're seeing a lot of development of digital communication over that period. I've worked with one particular client who accelerated the introduction of Microsoft Teams so that at least they can start engaging with their workforce right from the outset of the pandemic. So that is one of the sort of opportunities or advantages that has happened. So the inappropriate management style, the micromanagement, those type of things have had to go out the window. The leader of today is very much about enabling, about coaching, about facilitating and being there to respond and support employees in their times of need, as well as also navigating the commercial agenda as well. Thank you very much. That that all makes absolute sense. Have you identified any challenges? Because I can imagine that for a lot of leaders, perhaps more traditional leaders might find 
that authenticity and what we're talking about in terms of authenticity is showing the humanity of leaders and them opening themselves up to be vulnerable. And I know that, uh, and I've seen a lot of leaders do that very effectively in, in some of the organizations that we work with, but I can appreciate that that's probably quite difficult and is a bit of a, of a change in behavior for a lot of organizations and a lot of, of leaders. Have you encountered any any challenges with encouraging people to be a little bit more open and a little bit more authentic and, and help to really role model those positive well-being behaviors? Yes, I have actually. And to be fair, it's not the senior executives of an organization that tends to be the issue. The ones I've dealt with have certainly been very enlightened and prepared to do whatever it takes, as I said, to protect the, the livelihood and well-being of their people. Where you tend to get issues is what I call around the squeeze middle. These are managers who are in the proverbial uh, sandwich where they're getting it from below and they're getting it from above and they're under extreme pressure to deliver you know, commercial targets at the same time. And these are probably the, the squeeze middle, as I call them, the most vulnerable group within an organization, not people lower down, it's those in the middle. And that's where the blockages tend to occur. And I'm not going to typecast you know, a middle manager that they're all antiquated and very intransigent. It's just that, they, as I said, they're getting it from all sides. How do you go to unblock that? And it's actually providing them with the support, the resources, and the training. And what I found with some of the forward-looking organizations that rather than, as some others have done, is put a squeeze on training, they've actually ramped up their training and also their communication efforts as well to try and not only reassure people, but also to change their behaviors and mindsets as well. You are absolutely right. When we talk about leaders, it's not just senior leaders, it's it's those managers as well. And, and I, I think in most organizations will have a, a similar challenge when it comes to the role of managers and actually managers being under, not necessarily considered as or appreciated as, as a key communication channel. And it's a difficult role because they're needing to do all of those various different elements and have competing priorities, as you, as you say, and having that training and that support, but also, I suppose, at a senior level, that role modeling of positive behavior and the right kind of behavior will will help to to ensure that but i can i can appreciate and uh, and understand that a level of training and, and resources is absolutely key for that for that group to help to ensure that they're starting to to role model the right behaviors um, and that they're able to support their teams as much as as possible some are much wiser than me once said the lie manager is the lens through which an employee views the organization that can be very true that that's absolutely correct yeah. For good and bad, I guess, you know, it's also line managers is one of the main reasons that someone might leave an organization. So it's absolutely key that we do have that training and resources in place. I suppose when it comes to, and it'd be great to get your thoughts on where communication plays its part in this, because whilst training and resources and those aspects are all incredibly important in terms of informing people, you also need to inspire and engage employees with these messages and this this subject matter. And I suppose when it comes to well-being, it's something that's very personal and something that's very emotive and how important it is to try and create an environment where people are 
feeling free to talk about. And we've spoken, I suppose, a little bit about the the importance of authenticity in, in leadership. But where I've seen organizations falter in this space, well-being is, is one, but also elements like diversity and inclusion, for example, is when it's considered to be a, a, an initiative with an end point. You know, well-being, as we all know, is part of the culture of an organization. It's not a campaign. It's not a program. It's a, it's a state of mind. Literally, it's a state of mind, you know, and ensuring that you can create an environment where well-being is a foundation of everything when it comes to communication, when it's linked to a company's vision and purpose and values. I suppose it then it trickles down into conversations with peers, having that, you know, that mix of the resources plus the leaders and managers role modeling positive behaviors and, and creating that safe space. But then also from an employee perspective, having that consistent approach to communication and ensuring that this is something that that has a regular drumbeat of activity that there isn't just a you know a focus on a particular day or a well-being week perhaps and then everything gets forgotten about i suppose in lots of organizations where this is perhaps a relatively new thing it's important to keep that message going i suppose mm, absolutely i mean i call it the hierarchy of effective well-being communication if you look at the typical pyramid you're very much looking at three levels the first level is found where you're very much trying to increase awareness and educate people about the importance of well-being, the importance of changing their behaviours and providing them with the tools and resources to do that. And then, of course, you move up to the next level, which is very much around strategic, where you're looking at closer alignment with business HR strategy, establishing critical success factors, focusing on improvement and providing guidance, if you like, to give that direction of travel that all key stakeholders desire. And of course, if you've reached the tip, the the self-actualization tip at the top, it's when you actually communication helps to normalize change, you know, it invokes a new culture you know, it becomes the lexicon, if you like, of everyday speech with employees. You know, there's no stigma, there's no taboos around mental health, for instance. That is a long journey, I've got to say. Uh, The pandemic may have hastened things to a certain degree, but to actually invoke that type of culture, through my experience, particularly with Arab, for instance, it took three years. It was very much push, push, push until the, you know, stakeholders started to actually start pulling. It led to a situation where we became a victim of our own success. We couldn't provide sufficient resources at the time to meet the growing demands. But I think what's happened with the pandemic is that because many organizations have been forced to take contingent actions, they've actually plowed a lot more resource into protecting the well-being and livelihoods of their employees. So I think that as much as it's been major disruption, it's actually presented a superb opportunity for organizations to take well-being to the next level. I completely agree. And that that leads me on to thinking about the future and what does that look like from a well-being perspective? I mean, we're in this bizarre time at the moment where, as you say, things have been amplified and accelerated as a result of the, the pandemic. And we're talking about the future of work and hybrid models and remote working versus offices and people returning to site. And what does what does all of that look like going forward from a reward perspective, from a learning 
learning and development from a culture perspective, well-being, is there a risk that things are going to return to what they used to be like previously? Or do you think that well-being and the importance of well-being and well-being being on the agenda of boards and one of the key things that the organizations should be talking about is is that here to stay well yes and no i th- i think well-being is definitely here to stay i think any organization that thinks it can revert back to type is going to be sadly disillusioned because what will happen is that they will lose their best employees employees expectations have risen significantly during the pandemic what employees are looking at now and i hope their business leaders are doing the same as what I call the totality of the work life experience. So, you know, work and life cannot be separated any longer. I think we've seen that. We're a situation now where you can't leave your well-being at the factory gates. You know, it does cross over into your personal lives with your family, with your friends, etc. You know, so I think that any organization that's working towards what I call the totality, and you can put the whole work experience within that or the employee experience of which well-being transcends all those different elements, I think is absolutely fundamental. And it's quite interesting that I'm working with several clients at the moment doing audits, not just doing simple surveys to find what employees' needs are, but also looking at the whole piece around the philosophy, the guidelines, for instance, the guiding principles, the policies, the practices, and everything that's interconnected or has a potential connection with well-being. Because uh, you've got to look at it in a very holistic and, and integrated way. This seems to be very much the language of today. And on your other point, I, I think it's not going to be that far away before we start to see well-being being incorporated or mandated into company reporting, into the annual company reports. And even if that legislation doesn't come through, I think think responsible employers will take that step forward anyway and use well-being as one of their, if you like, they put it within their risk management framework and also within their governance and annual reporting as well. So it actually becomes very much a business imperative as opposed to something that's bolted on. I know the government, the UK government, is actually looking to develop what they call a well-being index, which could lead to mandatory reporting in the future. The the whole landscape is changed. It was changing anyway before the pandemic, but what the pandemic has done has accelerated that process. Well, that can only be a positive thing, provided, of course, it doesn't end up just being a tick box exercise, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. Um, and, and I suppose that's why it's so important that that culture is is communicated and 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 is is embedded, you know, in organisations in a in a in an authentic and a meaningful and a sustainable way. We, we were talking earlier about what employees care about and 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 people losing employees, perhaps where organisations don't have a commitment to well being. Uh, I've seen and I've been working on, as you'll know, on employee brand and employee value propositions for more than fifteen years, and 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 what people used to care about fifteen years ago is very different to what they care about now. It's moved from exciting projects and being well rewarded to working for an organization whose values and ethos reflect your own, who has an agenda when it comes to to the environment and sustainability, but also has a 
an awareness and an appreciation of, of, of people's humanity and their well-being and the ability to have that balance and that integration of work and life as you as you say is becoming increasingly one of the most important things that, that people look for so I'm hoping that it will be something that that people really do that organizations really do embrace rather than it being a, another report that they need to tick a box yeah I think you're absolutely right Chris it's being a, a humanitarian and caring organization I think the two strap lines that I would say with any organization that's thinking of leveraging its current well-being agenda so for people listening into this who are at the start of their journey perhaps their organization is at the start of their journey and you mentioned a few areas that you would focus on when going into an organization what can people be doing now what should what should be there in your experience their areas of focus what should they be looking at in order to assess I guess where they are now and, and the areas that they should be focusing on in order to to start to foster more of a culture of well-being within their organization the first one is they need to be talking to their people involving their people and their representatives they need to understand fundamentally what their needs are as i said whether they're social whether they're financial whether they're you know mental or whatever the important thing is to know where are the what i call the hot spots within the organization which issues need to be addressed now and which issues can be put further down the line so involving workers from the outset is absolutely fundamental because if you think about it you're trying to build momentum here and sensitize people to the fact that you do really care for their livelihoods and well-being it goes without saying so that that's the first thing then you need to look very much at your philosophy are you actually doing what it says on the tin do you want to be a caring and humanitarian organization and do your policies and your practices your processes and your communication actually emphasize or rail against it you know, contradict it. I think that's the important thing. And then the next one is very much on the basis of perhaps it could be through focus groups and through survey uh, and looking at other evidence around absenteeism, employee churn, etc. Try to get an idea what are the key factors which are leading to a potential, you know, if you want to look at it on the negative side, demotivation, loss of key talent and inability to attract new talent into the workforce. And generally, you you touched on it very well earlier on, is that employees coming in now, yes, salary helps, but they very much want to join an organization that mirrors their values, their ethos, particularly the new generation coming into the workplace. They're probably more environmentally conscious and aware than perhaps people of my generation. Unless they match their own particular values, they're not likely to be attracted by organization. They will go elsewhere. And I think this is the most fundamental point. The other thing is that you're trying to change behaviors. And we all know through experience that trying to change behaviors is incredibly difficult. You know, if you look at it from the neuroscience point of view, you know, we talk about fight or flight and most people will flight when it comes to changing their behaviours because it's painful. We're comfortable human beings, we're rational human beings and it's very difficult to do that. So, you start need to building a communication campaign and also putting in place the tools, the support and the networks 
to actually come out with some really consistent themes that will resonate with many employees and try to reinforce them at key moments throughout the the life. I won't call it a campaign because it's an an ongoing experience and it's developing that as well. And you need champions within the workplace. With the best will in the world, line managers are very pressed individuals and they need eyes and ears on the ground. And if you can get people who can transmit that message and act as the eyes and ears within their local workplaces, you can build up this fantastic community or communities over time. And it's really it's really quite important when it comes to dispersed workforces. I'm not talking just about remote workplaces, but people working in different geographies and jurisdictions. It becomes incredibly more challenging. And you need a common platform. I'm working with a client at the moment where one third of their workforce have no access in different countries to email or the internet. So what can you do to create the opportunities for them to access, to check in to whatever the wellbeing program is? And even in third world countries, there's very high mobile ownership. So look at digital approaches, mobile apps, this type of thing to create the common platform. And last but not least is that you need to have training. Again, looking at the pyramid approach, you, what you're trying to do is that fundamental education and awareness, which which are your applies to whoever you or whoever you are within the organization, moving up to uh, what I call middle managers, which is around managing resilience and well-being, and then getting up to the more senior echelons of the business where it's about executive coaching, you know, to be able to have that vision, set those aims and objectives, and actually have the compassion and the energy to actually transmit that across the workplace. So these are the sort of three areas around training, it's around having the vision, it's around changing behaviours, I think, and not least of all, listening to your people and responding to their concerns is really important. I couldn't have asked for a, for a more comprehensive and fantastic answer. Thank you so much for that. Completely agree with everything that you've said. And I'm so pleased that you, not that I'm biased, but obviously the communication aspect of this is something that uh, <laughs> that, I, that I focus on and, uh, and, and, and are very passionate about. And, and so many organisations, I think, when it comes to initiatives and projects, communications is a work stream that gets considered at the last minute and you're absolutely right it needs to be part and parcel you're of it ab- from the start you're absolutely right chris yeah and if it's one lesson which i emphasize to every client i work with communication starts from day one not day 250 you know the second you start talking to your employees to understand their needs and their concerns is when communication starts and, and it's building it up there and creating those feedback loops as well. So, you know, the classic case you get with a lot of HR departments, they go out, talk to their employees, get them all excited, and then it gets put to bed because it hasn't been given the green light by the board, for instance, for one reason or another. As soon as you start talking to your employees, you raise expectations, but by the same token, you, you're involving them from the outset. And then, as you say, any survey or any employee 
employee listening exercise is only as good as the actions that you then take as a result of the feedback that you gather. So um, that's fantastic, Evan. Thank you so much. I'd love to keep talking to you for another hour, but I'm going to have to wrap this up. Be the pleasure on my part, Chris. Thank you. And to Cave and Hope. It's a great subject. That brings us to the end of the first ever episode of the Cave and Hope Employee Commons podcast. A huge thank you to you, Evan. Evan Davidge of the Wellbeing Leader. Huge thanks to you as well. Our very, in at the very start listeners, you're a very fortunate bunch to be involved. So thank you for that and to listen to, to Evan talking. I really hope you've enjoyed the show. Please do give us your feedback, share any communication issues that you'd like us to explore in the future and please do subscribe. Our next episode features our very own co-founder and managing director, Elizabeth Spencer-Phillips, talking about why the menopause affects all of us, all genders, all ages, and why it needs to be addressed now. So please do join us for that. Until then, stay well and goodbye. Bye.